Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There's tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Jonah. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Sheldrake here again. This is Unlocking the Truth podcast. This is a ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada. Thank you for tuning in with us as we walk through the scriptures. Looking forward to another episode uh, in the book of Jonah. Uh, We've already done one episode. Hopefully you tuned in to the first week of this four-part series, walking through verse by verse. Jonah, before we get into the scriptures, I want to invite you to participate in something we have going on this summer. Registration is now open and available. You can check out our website, preceptministries.ca. We have a week of study coming up in July, and it is a virtual summer study week that we are calling Dig Deeper. It's happening from July 12th to July 17th, and there are a number of different training workshops that you can participate in. Hey, if you are a person who just wants to learn how to study the Bible using the inductive method, we've got workshops that are available for you. If you're a leader and you want to or you want to become a leader, we have training that you can participate in as well. If you've been a longtime leader with us and uh, you haven't done training in a little while, uh, I would suggest you come and take the opportunity to, to dive into some leadership training with a workshop that we call Leadership, leadership Skills Development. So uh, check out our website, preceptministries.ca. Um, look for the dig deeper information and find out all you can about this summer workshop we coming up in July. What a great opportunity to just uh, prepare for the fall in whatever it be as a Bible study student or as a Bible study leader. Without further ado, we take the time, we bow before the Lord, we pray, and then we dig into the scriptures. Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity once again to use this technology to uh, send out uh, teachings on your word from you, from your Holy Spirit, thankful that we can do this, that there are people who are tuning in on a regular basis, listening to these uh, truths coming from your word, applying them to their lives, And Lord, that um, we would see a transformation in this. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those who are listening. This yet again, Lord, another uh, powerful week in the scriptures, uh, looking at Jonah chapter 2. And Father, we just pray that uh, your spirit uh, would work in the hearts of listeners. uh, Encourage them, equip them, convict them of their sin in the areas they need to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me give you just a little bit of wrap-up or a recap. It's better to call it a recap than a a wrap-up. A recap of what we looked at last episode. So in the last episode, we, first of all, we broke Jonah down into four parts, into their various chapters. The first chapter that we looked at last uh, episode was uh, simply running from the will of God. We looked at Jonah and how he was running in the opposite direction. And uh, then uh, this week, what we're going to focus on is the, the whole idea and principle of submission to the will of God. Uh, the next episode that we'll release in two weeks from today will be accomplishing the will of God, which is chapter 3. 
And then in chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at just questioning the will of God. That's going to bring us to the end of the book of Jonah, and then we go on from there. Let me just give you one quick moment of advertising that uh, I want to encourage you with, and I'm going to uh, keep bringing this back to you uh, in the, for the next few weeks, that through the summer, I initially had determined that we were going to take a break from the podcast, that we were going to not record any new content over the summer, come back in September, and then we would continue on. The Lord has opened up an opportunity for for myself, and uh, I've been asked to come in and do a, a couple of sermon series in a church uh, locally over the next uh, number of weeks. So I've asked the church if they would record these messages so that we could release them through our Unlocking the Truth podcast. And the focus of these uh, podcasts that are coming up uh, throughout the summer is called Resolve. It is going to be a study of the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. Uh, God has been moving in my heart and convicting me to the point where uh, just looking at the culture that we are in, we need to just pause, stop, and think about how we can make a firm decision to follow after the truth of God and his word before we ever face any pressure from the culture and the world around us. So we're currently recording that sermon series now over the next eight weeks, and then we will release those uh, week by week over the summer through our Precept app, through the uh, website, as well as SoundCloud and iTunes that you can tune in. Because I just believe that there is no greater time than this for us to look at the life of Daniel and be challenged about how to stand firm, hold fast, and make the commitment before we're ever under the pressure of a culture that so desperately wants to absorb us. All right, so stay tuned for that as it will be coming and following after the book of Jonah. All right, now back to Jonah. All right, so we have the four chapter segments that we're breaking out is running from God's will, submitting to God's will, accomplishing God's will, and questioning God's will. This week, we're going to specifically look at chapter 2. And chapter 2, the segment of chapter 2 actually comes at the end of chapter 1. But you'll remember, just for the purposes of recap, Jonah, now if you studied in Sunday school, you already know this already, Jonah, he ran in the opposite direction when God called him to bring a message of repentance or wrath. So repent and be and f- ask for forgiveness of sins, go after Jesus because or after God and follow after his heart because you are sinning or you're going to face the wrath. What Jonah decided to do was run in the opposite direction and not preach the message of God or follow the will of God. That was the whole focus of our previous episode was what happens when we run from the will of God. The point I made uh, a couple of weeks ago when we released this first episode was that sometimes God brings storms into our life to correct and to rebuke us and to bring us back into submission of God's will. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we walk through Jonah chapter 2. So we actually have to go back because the segment begins in verse 17 of chapter 1. So the, the overall segment of the book of Jonah actually goes from chapter 117 to chapter 2, verse 10. All right, so there's where we're going we're gonna to see this break occur in the scriptures. And Jonah's prayer, I remember in Bible college, one of the assignments I had was to just take a piece of scripture and exhort through that scripture and write a paper about it. And I chose to walk through uh, Jonah chapter 2 and look at this powerful prayer that uh, Jonah has uh, before God. All right, so chapter 1, verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for uh, three days and three nights. So if you remember the last episode, one of the things I talked about was just the idea of what the Sunday school pictures show us. The Sunday school pictures show us that Jonah was actually, when he was thrown into the water, that the whale was up there waiting for him in the air, and Jonah never hit the water. That's what some of these pictures show. Not true. 
Let's look at what the text says. Let's let's debunk the myth that comes from the, the beautifully painted murals on the walls of Sunday school rooms all across the globe. Okay, Jonah actually hit the water. The other thing that it's important to note, all right, as we look at Jonah chapter 2, is we look at it as one prayer. All right, I'm going to uh, just kind of look at this in another view for a moment and say, I think, all right, you ready for this? Actually, there's two prayers. So there's two prayers right within this prayer. The first prayer is one of an utter desperation and calling out to God. And the second part of the prayer, and a second prayer, is from inside the belly of the fish, being so thankful that God rescued Jonah from the depths of the sea. All right, let's take a look at what we've got. So Jonah, because he is narrating himself through this, he's telling us what happened to him when the sailors threw him overboard. Remember, the storm came up. The cast was lot. He, uh, the, the lots were cast, sorry, because what happened was they realized that Jonah was the reason for the storm. Why? Because he was disobedient. All right, so it says, then, verse chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, uh, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said, now watch this, now listen to the language. He says, I called out in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. Do you hear it? Do you hear the past tense in these words that are coming from Jonah? Okay, so we have, first, I called, all right? I did that. I called out to God in my distress. The second was, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. So the first thing we want to look at is that when Jonah hit the water, when Jonah was in the water and he was basically drowning, okay, when he was dealing with the difficulties of the billowing waves that we'll see in a minute coming and crashing over his head, what did he do? He called out to God. So let's keep walking through this and let's pull these verses all together just so we can see as he describes what it's like in the midst of being in this distress. All right, verse 3 says, For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. And so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look toward again toward your holy temple. Uh, water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me, and weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, and the earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought me up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. All right, so let's just quickly look at all of this happening in the life of Jonah when he's thrown in the boat. Look at these descriptors, okay? So first, he was cast into the deep. Well, we know the sailors, they threw him overboard. You know, it's interesting that before they threw him overboard, they threw everything else overboard to lighten the ship to be able to handle the storm. But here, they throw Jonah overboard. And when they throw him overboard, this storm is still going on. Everything around Jonah is still happening. This point is that, you know, he's got what it says here. I was thrown into the heart of the sea. The current engulfed me. You ever seen somebody swept down current, being moved with the water where there's no hope? I think about some of these, these videos that you can see of, of people who have uh, jumped into the Niagara River. And how quickly the Niagara River flows towards Niagara Falls. And, and when people go over the falls, there's, there's no hope. Once, once you're into that current and that current begins to take you away within the Niagara River, you know that there's nothing that can rescue you and get you to 
uh, not go over the edge of the falls. And so the current is so strong that it is taking Jonah away from the boat. The, the separation of the sailors and the boat and Jonah is becoming even more because of the current. What else is happening? Well, it tells us that your breakers and billows, they're, they're passing over me. Uh, waves are, are coming over top of Jonah. They're starting to, to take him over as he's bobbing up and down in the water, you know, struggling to probably survive, you know, treading water. I can't imagine what it's like to tread water with, with you know, the, the Bible times clothing filled with water to, to um, be able to survive that. Uh, I've tried to tread water in a swimming pool with clothes on as a part of uh, doing training to to become a lifeguard, and, and the clothes are heavy. And, and just imagine putting yourself into the storm <clears throat> and being able to, to handle all the waves that are coming over top of your head. All of this is happening to Jonah, and he's still in the water. You see, the difference is here, there was no whale or fish waiting for him as he was thrown in and he didn't hit the water. He's in the midst of the storm, being overrun by the waves of the sea, and uh, what he says next is that everything that's happening to him, water is encompassing him to the point of death. Can you imagine as the waves are coming over top of him and, you know, he's, he's taking water into his lungs and all of this is happening. And you know what he thinks to himself right here and then? He thinks, as he's in this, this is it for me. This is the end for me. God has expelled me from his sight. This is where... I will die. This is where I will take my last breath. This is where I will have my last opportunity at life. I'm going to die. This storm is going to kill me. There's nothing left for me to do other than to die. I'm separated from the boat. I'm separated from the sailors. I'm feeling that as I'm completely separated by God, and in this moment, as he is recapping recapping what happened to him on the water. He's looking back and he's realizing that in this very difficult situation, knowing that because of his sin, he has been cast into the, into the sea and into the storm and he is about to die simply because he was not obedient to God. That the suffering that has been brought on by Jonah in this situation is purely because of his sin. And so he knows that the judgment for his sin is death. Isn't that, isn't that just amazing to see? It's, it, it's in this moment, in, in the first few verses of Jonah chapter 1 that I have summarized in the margin of my Bible, Jonah chapter uh, Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. In this moment, in this prayer, this is Jonah's submission to God's will. In the very fact that in chapter 1, what was his sole purpose? Run from God so I don't have to do the will of God. I don't want to preach the message of repentance to a nation that is my enemy, that has so treated my people, my family, poorly. And so he ran in the opposite direction. But you see, what we're seeing here is every moment, all right, every moment within Jonah's life at this point in time is appointed. Every second is appointed. Even in the midst of Jonah's sin, let's quickly look at some of the things that are appointed. One, the ship all right, the ship that took Jonah on was appointed by God. God had that, per, that captain and that ship at the right place at the right time and allowed Jonah to take that on. What else was appointed by God? The storm. The storm was also appointed by God, and it was used to bring uh, rebuke on Jonah. What else? The lots cast on Jonah. So all of this is appointed. What, what's the final thing that's appointed by God? Ready? Ready for it? The fish. The fish is appointed by God to rescue him from the depths of the sea. Everything in this story of Jonah is appointed by God. And so what we have here is we have Jonah 
coming to the realization that he must submit to the will of God. I cried out in my distress. I cried um, out for help from the depth of Sheol. The idea of Sheol here is, is not hell, but it's, it's a very deep place or a, a separation from God. Some, some believe that this was the place you go before, before hell. But Sheol is, his mindset is that this is how far he has, is separated from God, into the deep, uh, expelled from his sight. Now think again, why was this brought on? Brought on because of his sin. So just to give you a, a quick understanding of what, what I think we're talking about here is I don't think that all suffering that we face in life is, is the result of our sin. I also believe that we face suffering and persecution for the purpose of refining our faith. But in, in both cases, the equation becomes, one, we sin, therefore we face a just God. Two, we suffer for the strengthening of our faith. But both situations result in giving God all the glory, in, in moving from self into God's glory. You see, in this very moment, you have Jonah who has, who has cried out in his distress. Why? Because he's going to die. Is a separation from God. And because he's, he, he knows that this is the end, he cries out in his distress. I love what it says here. It says, I said, I've been expelled from your sight. I deserve the punishment I am facing right now because I have sinned against you. But nevertheless, I will cry out to your holy temple. I will cry out to you in the hopes that you will hear my prayer and that you will respond and that you will rescue me. Just to give you uh, a couple other examples of, of people in Bible times who have... Who, cried out into their in their distress exodus chapter 2 and deuteronomy chapter 26 the israelites in in the midst of their suffering under the egyptians they cry out to god why were they in egypt they were there because of their sin but god put them there and yet even in the midst of their sin they cried out to god and god heard their prayer uh, in 2 Samuel, David also cries out to God. We see it through the, the book of Psalms. In, in times of difficulty and distress, God, uh, David calls out to God and God hears his prayer. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 17. I want to turn with you to, to Romans chapter 8 and I want you to see uh, another example of calling out and, and listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 verses 15 to 17. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children and heirs, also heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Believers are children of God and we can cry out, Abba, Father, for help when we need it in difficulty. So, so now, this, this brings us to a phenomenal opportunity to just think through some application. Before going any further... You, you need to ask yourself and say, you know, the storm that is happening in my life right now, has this storm been brought on by disobedience or not walking in the will of God? Has God asked me to do something and I haven't done it and so therefore the storm has come and you know what? The storm continues to grow and now the waves are over my head. I just feel... Like, I can't get out of this. There's no hope. I feel so distant from God. I feel expelled from his sight. I don't hear his voice. I can't get into God's word, and I can't read it without, 
being focused on whatever's happening in my life. I just cannot pay attention to hearing the audible voice of God or, or really applying the truth of Scripture or hearing more than anything than focusing on the waves and the storm that are overcoming me. Is that you? That that, that has been brought on by something that you are not doing? And does the storm continue to increase? Well, the thing for you, you need to understand is why aren't you crying out to the only one who can rescue you from the storm? You see, there is no person on this earth. There is no one that can rescue you from the trappings and the judgment of God. Only God himself, through his son, Jesus Christ. Call out to him. Jonah, in this submitting to God, calls out and admits he's wrong. He submits to the will of God and admits he's wrong. Now, let's, let's preface this with, I don't think in Jonah chapter 2 that we're seeing the full maturity of Jonah in his life in the fact that he is now become a, a complete devout follower of God and therefore uh, everything is going to be that of I'm going to pursue God. I think what he's doing, he's crying out in distress to be, to, relieve, to be relieved from the storm in his life, but there's still some maturity and growing that needs to happen. And that becomes a part of the sanctification. I think that that we have that too. We Sometimes we just need to be rescued from the storm. We need to see God and God at work and then take that moment that we're seeing God at work and add it to our notebook of markers and things that have happened in our life where we've seen God at work and think and, and focus on those things and on those promises, pay attention to that, and then continue to grow and mature in our knowledge and understanding of God. How do we do that? We get into the Word. We study and we thank. But you see, what Jonah has done here in this, the first prayer, he's cried out and he said, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me. The second is, God, you rescued me and I am so thankful that you have rescued me. That's the prayer he has from the, from the belly of the fish. So uh, the second is um, this, this suffering that comes for the purpose of refining your faith. This is a whole other topic. This is a whole other topic that um, we could study through the book of Job and look at just Job's response and how he um, dealt with suffering and, and persecution. I mean, Job's wife and his friends, like, I mean, they're not the greatest people, but this, this situation that we're looking with Jonah is completely different. This, this storm is brought on by disobedience. And so we too will have storms in our life that come and they are brought on by disobedience. And the only response to that is submission to God and his will. Are you doing that? Are you submitting to his will? Are you following after him? Are you ridding yourself of the sins that, want, that so want to control your flesh and therefore you follow after your flesh? Submit to God. Call out in your distress. There are multiple examples in the scriptures of people who have called out in their distress and God has heard and rescued. And God wants to rescue you too, but you must submit to his will. It's vital for us to be able to understand that. Uh, quickly, just three things that, um, three ways that we can respond to God's chastisement of us. And then I want to look at uh, Hebrews 12. Uh, verses 5 to 11, all right? So there's three ways that we can respond to God bringing us back in line, all right? So uh, just very interesting, and you think about uh, our life in general, and I was thinking about my children this week, and what are some of the, th the ways that my children can respond when I'm trying to bring them back in line? Well, when they're very young, they will, out of fear, they will fall back into line, right? They'll, they'll listen to you because they don't want to get a spanking on their backside or they don't want to be grounded or they don't want something taken away from them. So they'll listen. And so that's one, one way and they do it. But, and then in the next stage, you have to change, change the way you bring them back in line. And then when they get to teenagers, you've, 
you've got to really just come alongside them and and give them a hard rebuke when they're when they're not listening and there's some some change in the discipline that happens in that way so there's all kinds of different ways but the but there's ways that those can respond to it so my children how can they respond to the chastisement or the rebuke that I'm bringing them for their behavior well one they cannot listen to me they can ignore me um guys that stove is hot don't touch it otherwise you'll burn yourself what do they do they go touch it anyway and then I'm then I'm like see I told you it was hot shouldn't have touched it now you got to run your hand underwater for 15 minutes so you don't get it all blisters hurts right right okay there's there's one they don't listen to you and then they continue to do it anyway the second is um, that they could just um, fade away in their relationship with you. They can think that their rebuke and your rebuke for them is not coming out of love, but it's coming out of, you know, out of hate, and that the parents don't love you and they don't care for you, and and your relationship begins to shatter. And they fade away, and they don't want to talk with you anymore, and they don't want to to be a part of anything and they don't want to hear their ears are closed off to you. The third way they can do respond to that, to that rebuke and that chastening is, well, they can say, I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness and I won't do it again. Doesn't, doesn't this apply? I always think back to the very fact that when my children were born, I never had to teach them to disobey. I only have to, I, I, I had to use the tools in my parent toolbox to teach them to obey. Well, why? Because, because they're born with inherited sin. They already know how to be disobedient. The whole purpose is to bring them back in line with biblical principles. So we don't teach people to disobey. We have to teach them to obey. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. Of what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, if we had earthly fathers to discipline us, we would be re- we would respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and seemed best to them, but his, his disciplines of us are for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Nobody likes discipline because discipline hurts. But it's good for us. You see, what the, he, the author of Hebrews is telling us is that the purpose of discipline for believers is to get us ready into a position to receive our eternal prize. Get in line. Get working towards the will of God. So, so what God is doing for, for Jonah here, remember, he, he started this whole thing by saying, I, was, I am a God-fearing Hebrew. No, he wasn't. He said that, he stated that with his words. Yes, I'm a God-fearing Hebrew, but his actions didn't show any fear of God. He ran the other way. But when the storm came and it started to overtake him, what did he remember? He remembered the sovereignty of God, and he submitted to God, and he cried out to God. 
and he wanted rescue from God. So God is going to discipline us. And when we can recognize that God is disciplining us, we can call out with a heart of repentance. You see, so too often we see people that do not like the discipline of God. They hate it. So they can hate the discipline of God and refuse to confess. Keep following after self. Those are, those are people of the world. I, I think sometimes, and, and I talk to my wife Jessica about it, I say, you know, so this, this person seems to look like they keep going through a lot of suffering. They're going through a lot of difficulties. If only they would be, be able to understand the power of God and his love for them, that if they would just accept what is happening in their life, repent of their sin, and, and, and get in line with the will of God, that, that you know what? It'll be better for them to be there and thank God for the discipline that comes for the purpose of transformation of heart. The, the second, again, is that people can just fade away. They, the, the discipline of God can be so, so difficult. The storm can be so strong that they just say, you know what, this isn't worth it. I don't want anything to do with God, if he's going to do this. Have you been on social media lately? Have you seen what, what some of the people out in the world, what they say, the question they ask? If God is just and if God is loving and gracious, how can he let innocent children die? <laughs> You say you follow a loving God and yet he judges certain sins that the culture is fully accepting of? I don't want any part of a God who, who decides between what is righteous and what is unrighteous. That's my job. I don't want anything to do with that. that, that that's what the culture tells us. I mean, it's on Facebook. You should see some of the stuff that comes under the lines of, of our Facebook posts when we're advertising training. Just today I read somebody made a comment, you can't find any truth in the Bible. There is no loving God. God is not just. Well, the Bible, if we clearly study it and we read it and we look at Jonah's life, Jonah sinned, God's bringing judgment upon him because of it. That, that's a just God. You didn't submit to God's will. And that's your role. You're a prophet of God. You're a servant of God and you didn't submit to God's will. And judgment comes for the purpose. What's for? For to bring you back in line. It's discipline. The same way we discipline our children to bring them back in line, God disciplines us to be within the will of God. Why? Because he wants to spend eternity with you. He wants to be restored to his creation. Why? Because he loves you. He wants what's right for you. So too often we follow after our own hearts, our own desires, our own passions, our own will, instead of submitting to the will of God. The final part is you and I, as believers, that guess what? Sometimes, sometimes when we repent of our sins and we think, you know what, that's it. That's the end of the storm. It's going to go the way, just like when Jesus calmed the storm, that's it. As soon as I repent and I ask for forgiveness, that storm is going to be over. That's not necessarily true. That's a prosperity gospel. That your life is going to be so much better the minute you say a prayer, walk an aisle, or raise a hand. Not true. Not true. Okay? This this podcast, Lord willing, everything we're talking about, truth, coming from the word of God. It's not true that your life is just going to be perfect and you're going to have all rose petals and, and you know, flying doves all around you with just great peace. You'll have great peace in your heart knowing that you can stand before God 
knowing that you have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, but there are still going to be storms in your life. You see, the storms will change. They may not be there because of sin anymore, but they may be there for the purpose of refining your faith. The very fact is that the storms will continue, and our third response to God's discipline is this, that we need to endure it, we need to be thankful for it, we need to trust God in it, and the very fact that he is working out the best for us, for him and for, hi- for us, and purposely for his glory. That as we endure in it, that God will be glorified. That's our role. Repent of sin. The storm may not, may not come to a complete end. Endure it till it's over. Thank God for it, and give him all the glory. That's what Jonah's doing right here. He called out to God in his distress. And the second part of this prayer is he's thanking God for the rescue. Verse 5, the waters encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Do you see? Do you see? He's, this, this isn't just a little swim. He's being dragged down to the depths. I descended to the roots, to the mountains. The earth with its bars were around me forever but you brought me uh brought my life from the pit oh lord when he's in the water and he's being rescued what when the whale or the fish actually consumed him and he began to live in that fish for three days god rescued him god i was headed down the weeds were tangled around me they were dragging me down i was going to the depths this was the end of my life three times he admits that he is going to die because of this situation in this, in this chapter. But he is admitting that he's going to die, and the very fact is that he says, guess what, God? You rescued me. Do you see the submission? He recognizes, one, that the sin is because of his disobedience, two, that he needs God to rescue him, and three, he sees and recognizes and says, God, you saved my life. Now look what he says in verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. And so uh, he's, he says, look, I'm dying. I'm dying. What comes to his mind first? No, no family, nothing. No, oh, my children, what's going on? No, God, I remembered you and I remembered that you can rescue me. I raised my voice and I prayed to you and you rescued me. You see, maybe you, again, maybe you are in the midst of the storm of your life. And you know that the storm has been brought on by your disobedience. Remember who God is. Remember what you know about his character. Cry out to him and ask him, ask him to rescue you. Ask for forgiveness of walking away from what he has called you to do. Restore my heart, O oh God. Save me from the storm that I'm in. It's Jonah. Verse 8 Verse 9, all come to, to summarize one thing. And, and this one thing that I, if, you got, if you're writing anything down, salvation is from the Lord and the Lord alone is verses 8 and 9, if you want to write that in the margin. It says, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. So let's just look at that verse for a minute. All right, so can, do you remember do you remember in chapter 1 when the, when the sailors, when they first, the storm started coming up? And remember, sailors on the sea all the time, and uh, it'd be a pretty, pretty dangerous storm for them to call out for help, right? Well, who'd they cry to? They called out to their gods. They didn't cry out to the God, Jehovah. They called out to their gods. And the hope was that by calling out to their gods that they would be rescued from the storm. Jonah, what he's saying here, all right, he's saying that calling out to false gods, little g, is vanity. 
Think of think of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. All all this is uh, pursuits of the world are vanity. They're meaningless. They're useless. That's what he's saying in verse eight. He's saying that. Uh, when calling out to idols, calling out to man-made things, calling out to things that are not the God of gods is in vain. It's vanity. It's useless. Why? Because in verse 9, you have the contrast with the word but. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I vowed I will pay. Why? Salvation is from the Lord alone. Jonah recognizes that in the midst of this storm, that the only one who is going to save him is God. And he cries out. Not only does he cry out, he makes a vow or a covenant to the Lord. Very interesting. There's a covenant in chapter 1 as well. The sailors make a vow before the Lord. In chapter 2, Jonah makes a vow. Now, now what would the vow be? Uh, we could we could assume the vow would be that, you know, I think of what my own heart would pray. That, God, if you rescue me from this, if you save me from this storm that I am in, I promise to do what you have asked me to do. Does that make the most sense to you? That That the vow would be that, yes, God, I know I was wrong. I know that you are disciplining for me for this, but now, yes, Lord, I will go to Nineveh and I will share your message as you wanted to me to rescue me from this situation. And I will only serve you. I won't call out to other gods. I won't. I, I'll call out to the one I know who can save. How many of you listening to this have gone through a storm in your life and you have uh, thought to yourself, uh, I can get out of this. I only need to do this, this, and this, and then, then, then I'm good. I, I just finished reading this, uh, this book, and you know I, I recommend a lot of books on here. You don't need to go out and read this book, but it was a very interesting book, and it was called Gretzky's Tears, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, it was written a number of years ago, um, by a, a sports writer, and it was all about the trade of Wayne Gretzky from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings. And uh, the story goes that uh, Bruce McNall, I'm not going to go into the whole detail, Bruce McNall, who was the, the owner of the Los Angeles Kings at the time, he was so far in debt that he had started creating some... Um, you know, some ways of stealing money from banks. And, and his thought process was, all I've got to do is this to get out of this problem. All I've got to do to get out of this problem. And, and it, he said in the book, it just kept compounding. And I thought, all I need is the next big break, and I'm going to be out of that storm. And then another storm would come. And then before he knew it, he was under investigation by the FBI for for stealing millions and millions of dollars from uh, banks in some scheme that he had going on. And he was selling false coins and everything he possibly could to keep afloat and do everything himself to the point where he spent a number of years in prison. He was convicted of his financial crimes. Jonah doesn't try to rescue himself any other way. He doesn't try to do it himself. He can't paddle water. He's separated from the boat. There's no, there's no way of rescue. The only rescue is from God. That's the same for you and I. It doesn't matter what you try to do on your own to get through the storm, to try and solve the problem yourself. Only God can rescue you from the storm brought on by your sin. So call out to him in the distress. And when he rescues you, be thankful. Make a vow, a covenant, a promise to God that, that uh, I don't want to walk that road again. I don't want to walk that, that path of that storm ever again. God, I know that you can save. And it says in verse 10, you see, through all of this in this prayer, that as, as Jonah submitted to the will of God, 
What happens next? The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. You see, the whole point of this in in what we have in chapter 2 is this complete submission to the will of God. So God has used a storm in Jonah's life to bring him back in line, and through all of that, Jonah recognizes the sovereignty of God, that only God can save, and then God appoints the fish to vomit Jonah up onto dry land. Why? Because now he's got to go to Nineveh. Now he's got to follow through on the vow that he had to share the message of repentance with the Ninevites. You see, in all of this, look at all the things that God appointed, all for the purpose of discipline to bring you back in line. God loves you and he cares for you. God wants the best for you. God wants you to walk in his will and be submissive to his will. But he's going to use storms in your life to bring attention to when you are following after your own lusts and your own desires and not into the path of what God wants for you. It's vital for you to recognize those storms. Be aware of those storms. Ask, am I seeing suffering and persecution in my life because of some sins that I have committed? Or do I have suffering and persecution in my life because I I haven't committed any grave sins or I'm not walking outside of the will of God in the moment, but I believe that God is testing me and refining me for the purpose of getting me ready to be present with him. But you see, if it's sin... If it's sin, you can cry out to God, and God will rescue you. That's his heart. That's the history we see throughout Scripture. Cry out to God, and he will rescue you. He will hear your prayers. Submit to him. Repent. And follow after him. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us. I pray, Lord, for the hearts of those who are listening that if anyone is on uh, the internet and, you know, listening to this podcast, that, oh, Father, that you would just work in their heart to show them how to be submissive to you and your will. Father, I pray that if you are using discipline to bring people back in line to follow after you, that they would recognize that and immediately get on their hands and knees and ask God to rescue you them from the storm. That, Father, their hearts would be stronger in pursuit of you when they see that you rescue them. Help them to have hearts and minds uh, of joy and thanksgiving for seeing you at work in the situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website, at www.presetministries.ca.